Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by TireRack.com and by RockAuto.com. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. And hello and welcome everyone to MotorWeek Podcast 142. Our announcer, Alec Webb, giving us a nice introduction as always. Thanks to all of our advertisers as well. And thanks to the folks sitting around the table today in Studio C, writer-producer Brian Robinson. Hey there. Our writer, Patrick Lucas. Hello, I'm sorry for the bizarre camera angles. Sorry about that. Our cameras, right One issues. of our cameras took a dump. Over the Edge reporter, Zach Maskell. And our video editor, <laughs> Joe Ligo, who's joined us today. Glad to be here. And we have a lightning round of your questions. We'll see if anyone's got anything to add to the rant and rave. First off, though, uh, three cars that we've had around our shop in the last few weeks. And we're going to start with what I think will be uh, a universal favorite. It'll be interesting to see if it is or not. The Audi R8. Second generation of Audi's, uh, shall we say, exotic uh, uh, semi-Lamborghini uh, uh, uh Composition. Who wants to start? It doesn't look that much different than the first gen. Yeah, I don't have a problem with that. I thought the design worked pretty well before, so it's a little taller in the front, a little sleeker overall. The big, the big story is when the RA came out, uh, supercar level of performance in an easy to drive daily driver, comfortable Corvette like ease of driving on a track. That was kind of its big thing, and now pretty much every supercar. Does that now? So and it's the not NSX a, is new. And not really a cool trick thing. anymore. So it's like, where do they go from there? And they made it a whole lot nastier while uh, still keeping that friendly uh, nature on the surface. Um, it's now you were comparing it directly to the Uricon. Well, yes and no because they are the same chassis. Um, but they're same very, engine too, right? Same engine and chassis, but pretty much everything uh, bolted to both of those is, is unique. And we didn't have both the same track at the same time. But as far as on-track performance, um, the R8 just feels way, way nastier. The Horicon seemed to understeer a lot more than uh, the R8. R8 is pretty much nailed down and uh, gets a little squirrely oversteer-wise. Tons of power. The gearing seemed better to me, uh, at least on this track. Um, always in the right gear at the right time. Uh, it's just a sweet piece for sure. Others comments. Uh, sorry, you got one at a time, guys. Come on. The first yeah. time I drove uh, an R8 was right-hand drive on Silverstone uh, racetrack, and the thing just—I get it. What exactly? That's the what first Brian gen said. car. Right? Yeah, yeah, and I, I get everything that everybody ever said about that thing. I fell in love with it right away. And the last one we had, I was really a big fan of. And then this one, I still like it, don't get me wrong, but I think I was expecting more this go-around. Um, I think the exterior looks great, but the interior, I think I was uh, expecting to just get in, and I don't know, I was expecting more out of it. But uh, I didn't get to spend as much time in, as, in it as you guys did. What were but, you expecting in the interior? Is uh, it too I, minimalist now for you? Yeah, what? I think so. Hmm. I think I want more out of it. I mean, everything's in front of the driver, except for, I guess, two three controls for the vents. That's That's the the interior of the future. Yeah. Like, that's what I loved about the uh, the TT. Explain what, if no one's seen it, explain what what you're talking Um, about. Visualize it for us. Yeah, Yeah, visualize this, Mr. Ryder. Yeah, your instrument panel, your gauge cluster is just a giant screen. And so you can play with the setup of 
tachometer, your speedo, your navigations in there, your um, audio, full, your full audio with info. Google Earth. Right, exactly. And so you yeah. can cycle between those. You can make you know the two gauges bigger or smaller. So is it a touch screen or is it no, no, no not okay. touch Everything's fo- or, uh, controlled with. You know the typical Audi uh, central controller. Yeah, yeah. also um, pretty comprehensive steering wheel controls as well. Yeah, yeah more like a Ferrari actually mm-hmm. in that um, aspect. But I noticed um, get to get back to the driving. Um, I noticed I thought it was just driving around like a parking lot or on the street going to get lunch or something like. It was like a very it was easy to drive like a right. like a Corvette like it was on the street. It felt very composed, very not soft because I mean it's. You know, a two hundred thousand dollars supercar, but but it didn't have a hair trigger, right? right? Like when you drove the the Oricon, it was it was a little dicey, um, and like even driving it around the street, it made you nervous. And like if you blip the throttle a little too hard, like you could you'd go crazy. And this one, kind of pretty easy to drive. And I was I thought that was surprising, considering I always consider them to be mm-hmm. relatively the same vehicle. I think I concur with anything everyone said. I thought it. Uh, was a nice step up from the first gen car. Of course, now you can only get the the ten. No no more V eight. Yeah, at least for now. Yeah. At least for now. Yeah. Um, I liked virtually everything about it. I do think that they have pretty much forgotten whoever's sitting in the right seat, the passenger, and I'm not sure that's going to go over real well on on trips and so forth. Since there's virtually they can't select the radio, or they can select it, but they can't see what's going on. So I think in some aspects, the interior may be leaving some people a little cold. But having said that, I really don't have a lot of faults with the design. I thought it sounded great. Um, I didn't. Now, when you hit the um, the button for the exhaust to get the sport exhaust of the regger, um, that is actually a mechanical system, I believe you, you were telling me. So there's no I didn't notice any real change unless I was really on it. Yeah, I don't think it's like a piped-in yeah. fake engine noise. I think it's just a flap that opens up in the exhaust. It was great sounding. Yeah, yeah it sounded amazing. Um, the other question is, we now have a lot of these cars between one fifty and 200000 I mean, the new NSX is basically priced almost uh, the same as this as the R8. And, of course, this Uricon and what else? Are we getting pretty crowded in that area? Is there enough market for all of these uh, one fifty to two hundred thousand dollar cars? I mean, what do you think? Is it are we clogging up? Um, it is getting awful crowded. You're right. I'm not sure there's enough buyers out there for all of them, but uh, I think this one should definitely be high on the list. Seems like there's a void between the one. 25 and 150 area there's not a lot in there i mean i what, what's in there the i8 i mean for for something that's above you know beyond the ordinary but not quite exotic something yeah, for, yeah there's like a plateau there seems to be a hole in the market well, 180 about 180 000 is uh you know that's not what it used to be well that's true but not you know none of us can afford it but it is amazing how many of these cars they actually are selling well i mean i enjoy Seeing them, and I think a lot of people enjoy seeing them on the road, so I say, you know, the more the merrier. I mean, even if they mm-hmm. don't sell a lot and, you know, the competition is probably maybe too high or there's too much to choose from, from a, you know, a car fan standpoint, but it's in the fun old to days, see all of them. Uh, yeah, it's old a days, Ten years ago, I mean, if you brought bought a quote-unquote exotic car, they were rare enough so that it was pretty much guaranteed to at least 
retain most of its value and maybe even go up. Have we entered an area where these cars are going to be more apt to be uh, bargains, you know, five years after uh, they're new because there's more of them? Is, are we seeing a change in this at least entry-level area to the exotic car market? I think with exotics, I'm not positive, but I will say that, you know, with these recent Hellcats and everything else that has come out, it's going to be a lot easier for younger kids to hop behind the wheel. Uh, of a, what, of a used exotic? Of a used. Or not, a used super high performance. Yes, yeah. or high performance car. It's going to be a lot, it may be a lot easier for them to get behind the wheel. I On the R8, I'm actually surprised. I looked up the prices for um, the first year, which I guess was um, an 09 badge car, and they're still getting, you know, high mileage ones are still bringing in fifty to $75,000. I mean, I thought that was a lot of money for them. All right, so another thing, it's a bit of a throwback. It's just all motor. There's no uh, turbos, no supercharger, yeah. no e-motors, none of that to deal with. Which a lot of its competitors it's, do have. Yeah. yeah. So in that aspect, it's more of a purist vehicle. Uh-huh. Okay, that was fun. Uh, speaking of a ve- another uh, vehicle and that is known for its high performance, but a brand that is also undergoing a lot of change and is adding a lot of electrics, uh, Porsche. However, the 911 Carrera that Zach, uh, you just drove, um, still seems to have maintained most of its traditional aspects except for the turbocharger. What would you think? Oh, it still drives, as you'd expect, out of a 911. However, you know, instead of... You know, you ju- only opting to get the 911 turbo now pretty much. All the 911s are, they're all, are all twin turbocharged. Yeah. So uh, you can go with the base Carrera. It's 370 horsepower at 13 PSI. And then the S has 420 horsepower at 16 PSI. That's a lot and of boost. Yeah, it is. And Brian just told me about something that I was actually unaware of. Uh, you can press a button, I guess, and get even more boost than that for a well, limited amount of time. Well, in the PDK only, there's like a push-to-pass button that you hit it, and it gives you max boost, and it turns all settings to max sport for 20 seconds. <laughs> so, so, not you sure just, exactly so you can how blast much by that, that is, semi. But, yeah, I mean, that's awesome. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, I wanted to make people understand if, you know, they didn't really have a grasp on it in my first look was, you know, oh, no, they're not naturally aspirated anymore. But, that you know, it's not a bad thing at all because – Porsche's goal here was to get more horsepower while getting better fuel economy. So, yeah, they're, they're three liters now as opposed to the old 3.4 and 3.8. But you're going to be able to get more horsepower out of these things a lot easier than you would have mm-hmm. been before. They're going to be easier to tune. You know, shops might have an easier time working on them. Maybe it'll save you money in the long run. I don't know. But I can tell you that things have blasted drive. I think it sounds great. I mean, no, it doesn't sound naturally aspirated. A trained ear is definitely going to hear the turbo whistling. But I think it sounds awesome. I love it. I, I say turbocharge everything under the sun as it is. I so. think that's where we're headed, either turbos or supers or electric yeah. motors and, and, and just about and everything. it still revs out. It, it doesn't redline. I think it's 7,400 RPM. So you, it's still got that traditional. All right. If, if I'm a, a traditionalist, I say, but what about turbo lag? It's not Was there. It wasn't it? You get full torque you know, very early. I mean, uh, I challenge somebody to put – some earmuffs on and then go drive the car and tell me if they can really notice that big of a difference. You know, Porsche nailed it. The car is awesome. Yeah, I think they have like a, uh, like if you, when you go into a corner and you let off the throttle, it has electronics that maintain the boost. The boost so stays there, up. Yeah, so there's no lag at all. As soon as you get back in the throttle, you get full. So there's full like boost. an electric motor attached to the turbocharger? That uh, I'm not sure. I think it's how they manage the wastegate. Yeah. Uh, okay. yeah, okay. yeah. There's, I don't think there's an electric motor doing anything mm-hmm. at no. all, but. 
Not yeah, yet. So. That that's coming, but it's not there yet. Yeah, because Audi had some kind of electric supercharger well, the, type I, thing. Didn't I they? mean, Porsche is all about electric augmentation, but they haven't messed with the 911 yet. Okay, thanks, Zach. Well, nothing uh, let, to fear, basically, right? That's yeah. that we yeah. sum that up. To sum it up, I absolutely would not fear it. <laughs> Drive one if you get the chance, and then <laughs> let me know what you think. Let's move on now to a beast of a different color, uh, the Titan XD V8 Gas. Uh, this is the gasoline version of the uh, XD Titan, which, of course, is uh, the one we had driven before. It was Cummins mm-hmm. Diesel V8. Um, I guess the best way to ask this question is, do they really, you know, they got this great Cummins V8 diesel, which I think universally we thought was quite a nice truck. Do they need this engine? Do they need a gas V8? Is, um, what, what, what is its purpose? Well, I think it was, I don't know its purpose. Um, it's cheaper. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's the purpose. Cheaper, uh, better payload. Probably about, I think it's roughly 500 pounds over the max payload Didn't of that, the of Did the that diesel. surprise everybody? I mean, normally you think the diesel would be uh, a higher payload, a higher well, it's higher, capable. To, it's higher tow capacity, but mm-hmm. less payload. Because um, I was actually talking to Brian before we came up here. Apparently, according to their charts and their spec sheets, the diesel engine adds almost 700 pounds. Okay, much Dang. very heavy. So well, I mean, it's a real I mean, diesel, and so. that's not all engine because obviously it could be transmission and mm-hmm. suspension and stuff like that. But um, for the V8 gas. Um, I don't know its true purpose. I don't think they had to do a lot of work to it because it's a carryover from the current gen Titan engine. The engine, yes. Yeah. Um, they um, and they're going to offer it in the in the slightly smaller in uh, the next Titan gen anyway. Titan yeah. as well. Um, and they they did do a lot of tuning to it. Horsepower is way up. I think it was low three hundreds. Now it's up to three ninety. Mm-hmm. Torque's up a little bit to four hundred one. Um, I I don't know the biggest. Uh, takeaway that I got from this drive and from having been exposed to the uh, the uh, V8 turbo diesel as well is that for such a big truck, very smooth cruiser, um, a little more capability than a half-ton truck, um, drives like a half-ton truck, very smooth, very quiet, very comfortable. Um, if you go like higher up on the trim levels, it's really nice inside, um, and I, it's still relatively cheap. So, I mean, I think it's... It's pretty much your only alternative in this sort of in-between range, in-between half-ton and three-quarter ton, mm-hmm. but it's, I mean, it's not a bad option. I think they've been very smart to identify the hole in the market. They've certainly been smart to draw out, you know, they came out with a diesel, then this one, then the real yeah. regular Titan's going to come out. It seems like we've been talking about it nonstop mm-hmm. for like the last six months. Pr- and probably will for another yeah. six months well, or a year. certainly smart in that regard. Yeah. The, um, I have noticed some of my neighbors who have been driving, um, you know, three-quarter ton uh, diesels forever, they're going to gas. And I thought it was very odd. And I asked a couple of them, and they've had some problems. And, of course, the price of diesel fuel, which was way up and is now down, yeah. was kind of putting them off. And they don't use the full capacity of the towing that a diesel can give in a big truck. And so, I don't know. I mean, I think that they're very smart doing a gas V8. I think there's probably more of a market there than people realize. But these working guys that use their trucks for work and play, uh, I'm seeing more and more of them moving back from diesels to to gas. I think part of it is the tow ratings have gotten, capacities have gotten so high that there's less of a step up. I mean, Mm -hmm. 
it's to the point now where it's it's more about frame and structural integrity, not power. Not power. Um, I don't think. How much more does the diesel tow? Uh, uh, it's not even a thousand pounds, right? It's just over a thousand, but yeah, even still, so that's not a lot. Yeah. Right. It used to be you know four or five thousand mm-hmm. pounds difference. Now the V8s pretty much tow the gas. Pretty much still the same, so there's less reason to step up to the diesel, really. You know, we talk a lot about fuel economy on the show and on these podcasts, and I do still wonder what, you know, what's going to happen to the V8 and the pickup truck. It, you know, I mean, Ford's been very successful at putting like 60% of the F-150 buyers into a V6 uh, turbo and non and um, I, I wonder if this will be like the last gas. Who knows? We've been talking about the demise of V8 for 35 years. Nice truck. Thanks very much, Patrick, for that report. Let's move on now to our lightning round. Whoops. I'm sorry, oh, Jim, our, no our audio engineer. I just smashed the microphone with my hand. Smash. Um, John Smash. Here we go. Yes. We're going to talk about this topic that has been trending, and we're not talking about Facebook trending uh, for a while. Once again, Takata, the airbag folks, are You're in the in news. Trouble. We've covered it before, but the airbag recall just keeps growing and getting worse. Does a large-scale issue like this concern us about the quality of other manufacturers or equipment suppliers' uh, safety parts, I'll add? Will something happen like this happen again soon? Boy, that's a tough one. I think anything that's made by man and is probably managed by somebody looking at um, uh, balance and uh, profit and loss sheets that runs the risk of having... Uh, major failures that can backfire, but I don't know this is a pretty big. We're now talking about twenty percent of all cars on the road having a, possibly a, at least one or more Takata airbags that need to be replaced. I'm not sure outside of brake linings if there's anything else from a single manufacturer that would be spread that far. And I was wide. about to ask you, like, if we could step back in history, yeah. has there ever <laughs> been anything like this? Ever? Uh, the only thing that I, you know, that's a very good question. I think two things. Number one, the uh, side uh, gas tanks on early General Motors pickup trucks, uh, where they there's still a debate on whether they were really as vulnerable as they appeared to be on some of the videos that were done. And the other thing would be, uh, well, the the gas tanks on Pentos. But again, I don't think that was anywhere. But that wasn't in, third party. That was that uh, was Ford well, itself. That Ford itself. But the, you could also argue that whoever made the tank didn't make a very good job. I'm trying to think. Is there anything Firestone else? tires? But that Firestone was pretty tires. much just Explorers. Uh, that's wasn't a good one. It? Yeah. Um, it was mostly yeah, Explorers, it was. but it, there were some other vehicles involved. But it, maybe the Firestone tire is is the closest. I'm not sure there's been anything quite this huge. Ford had problems with. For many years, like over a decade, they had problems with um, 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 cruise controls uh, jamming. Uh, way whack wind. Um, so. and then, Lucas so, Electrics. Well, but they've not generally <laughs> had something Lucas, this widespread. Nothing wrong with Lucas's. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I think my question is: Do you think that this is just like a horrible oversight or like uh, corner cutting by Takata, or do you think this is like a mistake that could happen in anything anywhere i think that when you do your testing and you design something you cannot simulate long-term wear no matter what you do uh the aircraft industry has been famous for this they nothing gets tested to its limits more than a new um aircraft Mm -hmm. and yet 10 years after it goes into service 15 some fault comes up that nobody imagined and there's lawsuits and recalls and the planes get grounded and I actually think everybody did their job. It's just 
stuff happens. Life mm-hmm. is can't be duplicated in a laboratory. Now, you could make a point that they chose to go with a cheaper propellant than some of their competitors did, and that there is evidence that, that Takata knew early on there might be some issues. But my understanding is... It, even to this day, they're not 100% sure what's going on, except that this seems to happen in humid climates. And what bothers me about it is that a lot of the cars are having their airbag replaced with an airbag that of the same design and the same propellant because there's not enough replacement airbags to go around, and they're just sort of hoping that the car will get scrapped before this one develops the same problem. Yeah, so. I looked up my car because I, I got yeah. scared. Thankfully, yeah. it's not on the list. But, well, yeah. you know, I'm not sure the list even now is complete. I have to tell yeah. you. Uh, anybody remember the uh, the website that you go to where you check to see if your car's got a Takata airbag? I know you can go to safecar.gov, yeah, that's which where is I the uh, federal website, and put in your VIN number where you'll see it noted and check and see if your car is part of the Takata recall. Or call the dealer. That's the other thing you can do. Yeah. Thanks, Pat. Don't call the dealer. They'll try to sell you a new car. Yeah. <laughs> Get out of it immediately. Get in here. <laughs> That's right. It's dangerous. You shouldn't be driving it, and maybe you shouldn't. Okay, let's talk about a viewer question we get a lot. We get lots of emails and comments about extended warranties, whether they're worth the cost, which ones are reputable, and what do they cover. Uh, what do we know about it? Yeah. Um, I can give my two cents, but let me let somebody else start first. Uh, I don't even have two cents worth, so someone else. Um. I think you you got to remember a couple things about extended warranties. They're a way for dealers to make lots of extra money. So they are negotiable. Whatever price they give you, uh, deal with them. Uh, if you want total peace of mind, fine. But know what the warranty comes on the vehicle first. I mean, some I just had a case where someone was offered an extended warranty on a two-year-old uh, car, and the extended warranty really didn't extend much beyond the new car warranty that was still in effect. Right, yeah, because aren't most new car warranties are like five years? On the powertrain, typically five years, 60,000 miles, and three years, 36,000 miles on the whole vehicle. So know what comes on the car first and what you've got, then make your decision. Uh, Remember, they are negotiable. But here's – I remember Pat Goss often talks about this. Here's the things I think is most important. Look at the sheets of paper that they give you about the warranty. It should be a warranty. If you're buying a car from a dealer, and it doesn't matter what franchise, XYZ franchise, the extended warranty on that used car or the new car should have the manufacturer's name on it. It should come from the manufacturer of that franchise. Not like a third-party. Not like a third-party insurance company. That way, if you have problems, you can go to the dealership, that any dealership from that franchise, and get it fixed. Make sure that's possible. Uh, that's kind of the main thing. Otherwise, you might get a warranty that you only can get fixed at that dealer, or you have to pay for it yourself and get the money back. Do, do you know, or does anybody know anything about, like let's say you're buying a used car? Yeah, that's actually what I was talking about. I mean, like a used, not maybe not from a dealer necessarily. Can you just buy a car from like a private owner and then yes, look out somewhere else? You can go to a dealer. Uh, and well, you can't go to a dealer that I know of, but you can. There are a number of third-party okay. companies that sell extended warranties. Are you saying they're not nearly any, as reputable? Well, you have to read the fine print. Yeah. What you have to know going in, the chances are what you'll do is pay for it and get the money back. Some of them, though, have networks of repair shops all over the country that. Um, 
they will you know they will fix your car and will build them directly. So it sort of depends on the company. But and they exist to make money. So, yeah, for themselves. They're so insurance companies. Keep that in mind. These yeah. the extended warranties are sold by insurance companies, one right. way or another. So, uh, so peace of mind. If 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 you think about what it costs to repair an engine or a transmission, it can be three four thousand bucks in the blink of an eye. So keep that in mind if you're going to keep the car a long time. But know what the warranty covers. Okay. Rant and raves. Uh, anything got anything particularly on their minds? Oh, oh, I know that Jim Bigwood sent me an email. Oh yeah, <laughs> after the la- after the last round of podcasts. Um, Jim is is our uh, pod- audio engineer. audio engineer who makes us sound really intelligent when right. we're not. Yeah, there, yeah, he is. there he is. <laughs> the voice of God is. All right, so maybe Jim, go ahead, Jim. Go ahead, yeah, Jim, you can correct me, or you can just say it yourself if you want. Jim from Owings Mills, go ahead. Um, all right, basically, I think his rant was. He was driving to work, and uh, someone wasn't paying attention, coming the other way on a two-lane road, and came over the yellow line and almost hit him, and so he had to swerve out of the way. Um, and just, you know, general driver distraction. You guys noticing it a lot more it's, these days? It's rampant. Yeah. It's everywhere. It's, it's yeah. just rampant. It's, and it's you, scary. If you don't drive defensively the whole time, yep. you're going to get in an accident. Yeah, you constantly see people weaving, looking at their phones, and then the worst is the sleepers at the light. Because you know you're sitting behind yeah. them and they're playing you know whatever they're Candy Crush or recently texting. I've yeah. been honking my horn like as soon as the light turns green I'll give it just a little and you see their head pop yeah. up yeah. oh yeah. I wonder how long it's been green for <laughs> right. but gosh I, I, mean, I, I don't know stuff. I don't know what we do about it because this you know nothing scares me anymore than uh, crossing over the yellow line when you've got no place to go now Brian and I. You don't travel uh, Route 140 in Maryland as much as I do. I think you take the back road home. We both live out in the same direction. We have a four-lane highway that has no divider, and everybody's going 60-plus miles an hour. And you see that so often, and there's been quite a few uh, deaths on that road over the last 10 years. And so it's scary, scary. Yeah, I mean, it's, and it's kind of, I don't know if ironic is the right word, but it's certainly off-putting that they're passing all these cell phone laws, and it doesn't seem to phase people in the no, least. Because no, it's no. unenforceable. I guess. It's not a what? It's not a primary offense yet or what? Well, no. I think without no, having a cop standing yeah. on every corner uh, yeah, watching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The other day on I-95, they had cops and dump trucks uh, dressed, <laughs> they really? dressed as dump truck workers. They pulled over Dang, I wanted, dude. about 200 wow. people or something. No they, kidding. They wrote like 100 citations, like nice. 80 warnings. Yeah, so they were definitely out in force the other day. I'm not really sure how I feel about that, but I mean, texting is a big deal. So I'm almost for you know more enforcement when it comes to that. So I find that that you know there's not much you can't do with a cell phone by voice if you take the the uh, trouble to learn how to do it. Uh, I have used that a number of times, although I'm not completely sure. I think actually even having the phone in your hand is basically a violation of yeah, the law just in our state here. Put in your pocket and wait, wait yeah. till you get home. Wait till you get home. Nothing is How long are you driving that, you know, anything? That's part of the problem is everyone is a right now society right now, and it's like, you know, really, do I need to answer that right now? I can't yeah. wait 15 yeah, minutes. Yeah, do I need I to home. tell you what's up? Yeah. Like, right. can I, I, tell you that I now? just passed <laughs> that <laughs> shop that's got a sale right now. Yeah. I can't wait for you to, to up, come man? in and oh, yeah. money. Nothing much, just driving. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Running somebody else off the road. Yeah. We, we're laughing, but distracted driving, I yeah. believe, is now the number one cause of uh, fatalities and traffic accidents. And frankly, it's probably going to get worse. Um, 
eventually, and I'm surprised that this current administration hasn't already done it, they, they were talking about putting a chip and requiring a chip in the phones that basically when you were in motion, they wouldn't work. But, of course, if you're a passenger, what do you do then? Right. So I think that's probably why we didn't see it. Okay, thanks everybody for that. That was a very good one. Thank you, Jim. You're and we're glad you had the presence of mind to weave out of the way. I was glad I had some place to go. <laughs> yeah, that's the other problem when you've got no uh, no shoulder. Okay, I want to thank Jim, our audio engineer, also our podcast creator Bob Mixter, our podcast producer Patrick Lucas, the guy with the bell, who's also of course been one of our contributors today, Very our good. writer producer Brian Robinson, our over the edge reporter Zach Mask and our video editor, Joe Ligo. Thank you all for taking the time out of your day, and we hope you were either parked or certainly didn't have to hold the phone up to your ear the whole time to listen to our podcast. This has been 142, and thanks uh, always for watching Motor Week on both public television stations everywhere and our friends over at the Velocity Cable Network. I'm John Davis. For all of us at Motor Week, be safe out there, and we hope you'll watch us and listen to us again very soon. You have been listening to the podcast of Motor Week, television's original automotive magazine. Motor Week is made possible by TireRack.com and by RockAuto.com. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at MotorWeek.org. And watch Motor Week, television's longest-running automotive magazine series, each week on your local PBS station. <laughs>